Coming up on Telling the Odds, Adria Ajorna joins the cast of Cassian Andor, an all-new LEGO Star Wars holiday special on its way, and we look back on The Empire Strikes Back, plus a trailer for The Mandalorian Season 2 coming next week. All that and more coming up now. Hello everybody, welcome back to Telling the Odds. This is episode 12. We've run out of titles because Star Wars itself isn't even quite there yet in terms of we, their episodes. We've gone further than Star Wars has. We have. I mean, wait, they, I think they've got they've got 12 movies, but not 12 oh, episodic yes. films. If you, count the, if you count the Clone Wars movie. Which well, called... if you count the Ewok Adventures, they've got 14. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Ewok Adventure movies? Or clips of them never all at yeah, once. Yeah, no, I've never seen them all at once because there's like, you know, I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to. I mean, at one point we could watch them. It would um, be uh, an experience, yeah. Yeah, you'll never expect what ends up at the top of this list when we're done with the Saga retrospective. <laughs> Number no. one, the Ewok Adventures. Um, anyway, uh, how's your week been, Michael? Are you good? Good, yes. Uh, been excited to, to watch this film in preparation because... Empire is such a classic, but uh, I'm sure we'll get to how it is a classic later on in the episode. It is, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Sunday, 16th of August. I hope you guys are all uh, enjoying yourselves and um, staying safe in this uncertain world right now. But for right now, we're going to get into some cool Star Wars news that has been collated over the week. And we're going to uh, bring it to you guys and give uh, you guys our thoughts as to, um, you know, what it could be, what it might pan out into. So we're going to get right into it with our first for Star uh, Wars news roundup. Exactly. Star Wars news roundup. That's a great idea. Maybe we should just call it that from now on. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so our first story involves um, a series that has basically been dormant for a long time now. There's been... it's it's. Either, I keep forgetting it exists. It's either been discussion about Kenobi or Mandalorian. No, Cassian Andor is finally back on the scene in terms of uh, how that is going to play a part in um, Star Wars' Disney Plus series slate. But uh, we have we have some casting news because Adria Ajorna... Um, and by the way, we just needed to just like... Make sure we were saying it right before we said it in the cold open, because we just yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, Adria Jorna has joined Cassian Andor. Um, she's an American Latino actress, and she, like we said, has joined uh, the cast. Um, with the cast and the overall news regarding this particular project being relatively thin since it's been mm. announced, this news comes as somewhat of a surprise. Like if I was expecting to get some news this week, it wouldn't have been this, but it's still welcome news. Um, mm. She's the third person to join the cast following Dago Luna, obviously as Cassian Endor and Alan Tudyk will be returning as K2SO. Right. Uh, so far, there's been no synoptic description regarding the series, but it can be obviously insinuated. The series will take place prior to Rogue One. Um, <laughs> duh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, further to that, Ajorna's shared Latino background with Diego Luna leads us to believe that the two characters um, that they play could be closely related, which would also make sense given a large part of Cassian's backstory involves the loss of people that were close to him, whether she might play a sister or a possible love interest. It's a it's I'd say we're definitely in that um, ballpark when it comes to determining who she'll be playing mm -hmm. because I, you know, it's it's something that they had to obviously sacrifice for the sake of the rest of the story in Rogue One. But some, it's actually one of the more powerful parts of the movie for me when Cassian just says, "You're not the only one who lost everything." Like you know, it's yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't go everything it doesn't go into that more because it just doesn't have time to. But um, it shows that he's clearly lost 
people in his life, whether it was his I family, think... whether it was a loved one, um, platonic yeah. or not. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be the purpose of the Cassian Andor series. Like, yeah. also alongside getting the backstory of this more darker side of the rebellion that is hinted towards in Rogue One yeah. and is, like, shown that, like, oh, we turned away from, like, maybe they'll explore that more on the show. But also, yes, this backstory of Cassian Andor. But it's, it's just interesting because it's, like... I guess at the time it like was announced, I was like excited, like oh yeah, it is cool. I liked I liked Rogue One and Cassian Andor was quite fun. But like now, in fact, like I just it's it I just keep forgetting, like oh yeah, that's a show that's coming out, isn't it? So, no, that's uh, that's literally my <laughs> that was literally my reaction when this news came out. I was like oh yeah, Cassian Andor's happening, isn't it? Um, but that's also yeah, like you were just talking about something that I'm excited yeah. to see more of is because the thing that Rogue One offered up in terms of what we saw of Castian was, you know, the 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 shades of grey. The shades of grey yeah. that exist on this, you know, light side of the rebellion because he was an intelligence officer and, you know, even when he was doing the right thing ultimately, you know, there were those times where he needed to execute that guy who had a who had a bung arm and couldn't get out of there when they just really mm. needed to escape from the the rings of Kaffrine, that place where he, you know, got the information about the just Death Star from. flexing all your trivia knowledge on me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, um, so yeah, that's that's something that will be interesting to see if that gets explored in this series, which I th- imagine uh, imagine it will. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as as for the actual um, Andrea Jorna herself, I hope it's a new character. I I don't really particularly interested in speculating who it could be in terms of like past Star Wars characters and stuff. I think if 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 any show basically want should have an entirely new cast with like no characters considering the mandalorians bring back so many old characters and kenobi will probably bring back a bunch of old characters i think cassian andor could get away with pretty much having an entirely new cast except for maybe like a rebel cameo a couple of scenes that's true like maybe if you had like wedge antilles or someone like that popping up but other than that because like other than that i reckon the main cast should be entirely new i think yeah i i absolutely agree because cassian andor is literally someone we've only seen once four years ago now that wasn't even the main character in that film he was probably the you know the the closest supporting character the second yeah exactly um yeah so the fact that he wasn't even the 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 lead voice in that movie leads you to believe that the series that's going to be about him would involve entirely new set of people other than k2so which i'm also really excited to see more because k2so was maybe my favorite part of rogue one (laughs) just Um, despite the fact that i sometimes forget he exists he was one of my favorite characters yeah uh yeah so um further to that um Basically, we were just talking about it, yeah, is it, it given a large part of Cassian's backstory involves the loss of, you know, the people that were closest to him. I think it'll, it gives this series a chance to do something that's really, really deep and powerful. There is still no release date attached to the series, uh, despite mm. the fact that filming was supposed to start this year, but uh, this year decided to be this year. <laughs> so with yeah. any luck, the series uh, may just uh, pull it off. will be a while off, I exactly. reckon. Exactly. I mean, like, I was reading, you know, a report in preparation for this. They said that they may just pull off a once-expected 2021 launch, maybe in, like, the business end of next year, but um, mm. it still might be a while away. If Kenobi is only coming in what 2022 then you know it's good to hear that you know things are still happening for this show but uh i'm not sure how long the wait how long the wait will be it's funny like a year or two ago when i was like like they were announcing a bunch of star wars things and you're getting all excited for them like when they first announced kenobi and stuff yeah this idea of like three four years off sounded like forever away but now that we're like in like quarantine or whatever with the coronavirus and stuff it just like I feel like more than ever, I'm just happy to like wait for things. I like more yeah. patiently. It's almost like, as oh, if it's got... gonna be a, 
Yeah. You've gotten used to it at this point. Yeah, it's like, okay, things are going to be like two or three years off. Look, I admit, it's going to be two or three years before I can go outside. So if it's two or three <laughs> years before a show happens, makes sense. Yeah, I think this is it, it, like this This whole experience that we're going through is really just training for mm. um, the amount of waiting that we're going to have to do for some of these projects it's, that we're so excited for. It's so, Yoda training. It's all there just to teach us patience. It is. Absolutely true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you go. Uh, Adria Jorna, best of luck to you in making the series. Um, we'll be excited to see what you do as as well as Diego Luna and uh, anyone else who decides to join the cast. Um, I think Luna's that great. I think that it'll be an opportunity to show something, you know, parts of sort of like in Rebels, like you know, Star Wars Rebels showed you a lot of how the rebellion yeah. was built early prior rebellion. to the New Hope, but also yeah. it'll show you the um, the the early parts of the rebellion that weren't as um, uh, what's the word uh, sophisticated and um, yeah, weren't and, as organized. Yeah, uh, uh, exactly, weren't as organized. There's going to be a lot of um, scruffy looking nerf herders in this yeah. series i'd imagine the implication is that rogue one is the first like proper victory of the rebel alliance like yes. when they're all together as the rebel alliance and so in rebels they have some victories but most of the time it's rebel cells like that are kind of come yeah, together exactly. partially or things like that it isn't until rogue one or a bit before rogue one that they're all actually together as one unified rebel alliance so, exactly yeah depending on how much earlier this show is than rogue one it it could be early days Rebel Alliance, or earlier on, it could be a small Rebel cell that Diego Luna is from. Yeah, who knows? If he had his own, you know, ghost-like team, that'd be kind of cool. Um, mm. So yeah, um, there you go. We'll be sure to give you guys more updates if uh, Cassian Andor series continues to grow in terms of news that comes out about it. But in terms of our second news story, which is uh, pretty exciting, and wow, I did not expect this. We literally just found out about it uh, a few moments before we even actually started to. Yeah. To, to roll is um, the holiday special, ladies and gentlemen, is coming back, but not in the way you'd think. Uh, we are getting a Lego Star Wars holiday special that is based on the sequels uh, instead yeah. of a recreation, which I originally. Yeah, exactly. Um, in. It says uh, on November seventeenth, which is also Life Day. Uh, I'm not sure if Star Wars, uh, Star, the Star Wars universe, has like a January, February, March calendar. But uh, regardless, the uh, Star, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special will reunite Ray, Finn, Poe, Chewie, Rose, and all your favorite droids from R2D2 to BB-8 for a joyous feast on Life Day. The holiday first introduced in 1978's Star Wars Holiday Special. The new oh, Lego okay. Special is the first to debut on the streaming platform and will continue. To, uh, and will continue the rich, long-time collaboration between Lucasfilm and the Lego Group. Um, set after the events of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, Rey leaves her friends to prepare for Life Day as she embarks on a new adventure with BB-8 to gain a deeper knowledge of the Force. At a mysterious Jedi temple, Rey finds herself hurled into a cross-timeline adventure through beloved moments in Star Wars cinematic history, coming into contact with Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and other iconic heroes and villains from all nine Sky uh, Skywalker saga films. But, but will she make it back in time for the Life Day Feast and learn the true meaning of holiday spirit? You'll, watch, <laughs> you'll have to watch to find out. Okay, my question is why yep. is this holiday special why does it sound like this holiday special is doing more for Ray's development going to like Jedi temples and stuff like that <laughs> than the sequels themselves did? Um because obviously you're supposed to get Ray's characterization in these Lego spin-off shows. <laughs> obviously. No, that, hey, that's where interesting. Did, where did Palpatine come from? Why is he back? Why is he a clone? Who is Ray? It's, Why is she so powerful? Yeah. Wait for the Lego films, guys. Wait for the Lego oh, films. It'll all great. be explained. 
that's just it's, it's that amazing. takes the that the takes the like wait till the novelization comes out to the next extreme. It's like oh crap, we didn't put anything about about uh, the Emperor's Return in the Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary. Quick, make a Lego yeah. holiday special. But no, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 part that I love is that it's it's wait okay. First of all, have you ever seen the holiday special, the original nineteen eighty eight holiday special? Yeah, it's yes. a, it's a thing of beauty. It's, it is. It's it's it's, oh. it's perfect in every way. Um, but when I when I get to read lines. Like, uh, will she make it back in time for the Life Day Feast? And then the yeah. true meaning of holiday spirit. I'm thinking, this is why I started the podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is... It's like, I feel like they're, they're, they make, they're t- doing it kind of similarly to just like a generic kind of Christmas film. But it's just interesting because... Yeah. But like making it actually Star Wars themed, whereas the original holiday special was just very strange segments <laughs> yeah, that had no linking together just put together it sounds like this, then, the the scenes in yeah. this in this one will actually have some relevance not only uh, yeah know, not that only, might actually make sense like literally developing ray's character further on from the sequel trilogy which is something yeah. really interesting but also yeah. you know actually making us a, a a um coherent movie instead Although, of ta- instead of going yeah. from weird animations of boba fett on a dinosaur to like weird uh musical set pieces in bars where this guy like yeah. pours his drink into to a, a person giant... re- to a wookie repairing a radio to yeah and that weird like vr porn thing that oh, yes. uh... <laughs> <laughs> the grandpa gets excited i know oh um, god Oh God! Oh, one day, dude, one day yeah. we are going to talk about the holiday uh, special on this on this podcast. Maybe around Christmas time, or we may. Yeah, <laughs> I may need something to get me through that because oh, it is an experience. It is that. Yeah. Um. Feel free to drink along when we do that. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, this is um this is interesting. This you know what? I love Lego Star Wars. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, it's because they've released a number of like the shorts on Disney Plus. Yeah, and like they've they've ranged from like, oh, this is kind of interesting to like, okay, this is clearly just like a camp, like a kids kind of Lego thing. But yeah. um, you know, I this sounds interesting. Uh, yeah, but like you know those I, things that they've done in the past, like you know not just those those five minute Lego shorts, but those ones yeah. that are that were came out ages ago, like The Empire Strikes Out. You know, do you remember oh, that yeah. one? I love uh, that. I love that. Like, it's not really feature. F- yes, it's not really feature length. Like, I think it's like uh, thirty five minutes long, and the same for one that came out earlier that had like Han Solo as a kid and he meets up with Yoda and it's set yeah. at the time of the Republic. What's it called yes. again? It's the, um... uh, is it Yoda Chronicles? No. Okay. But like, yeah. So, so they've done a number of them over the years and like, yeah, they are interesting. I think, I, I don't think we should like go into this expecting like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be like an amazing Star Wars like event. But like, I think if you go into it with the idea of that's just having fun, like um, goofing on the whole holiday special life day, but like making it with Lego and with the newer characters. I think this will be a fun experience. And uh... and something that the Lego Star Wars like shorts have always done well is poking fun at themselves. Yeah, definitely. like like you know, there's a part in Empire Strikes Out where Darth Vader ends up on Tatooine, and there's a whole thing about how he hates sand. And like you know, uh, there's a part where Darth Maul comes in hobbling because he has no legs and stuff <laughs> like that. And like you know, there's a part where there is a bunch of like teenage girls chasing after Luke because they think he's handsome. But then like you know, C three PO comes in and like you know distracts them by saying, "Oh no, check out this guy, Darth Vader, because under that mask you will find this." And he show and he hands up and he shows up a picture of uh, Hayden Christensen, Christensen. and yeah. they all chase him instead i'm just like i've always loved that sort of thing so if yeah. this lego holiday special ends up doing something where like you know wookies show up and start to repair radios uh, and people yeah. start to sing I, and they go no 
We can't do that again. That'll I be hilarious. Mean, yes. Yeah. I really hope they just have. It's just going to be constantly just calls out and making fun of uh, the original Please. holiday special. Like That'd some really okay. like yes, like fanciful you know on the nose, like yep. fourth wall breaking sort of thing is yes. exactly what I want from this series. The from most this, from important this thing that we get though is a Lego. Um, Princess Leia version of We celebrate no, 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 no. Day of Peace. Shut up, Michael, shut up. <laughs> no, okay. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, but no, I, I cannot watch that scene. It's just so... Oh, oh my God. I it's... love the backstory behind it, too, that Carrie Fisher really wanted to sing. I know, it's so good. <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting too far into the holiday special. We need to save that for the actual we review. We need to save that. We'll save that for Christmas time. Yeah. Okay, one last thing. Why does Mark Campbell look like he's so spray-tanned in that holiday special? Because... Because he just had an accident. Because oh, he's like, that's true. That's I, the thing. Yeah. That's true. I forgot about that. Oh, God. Because <laughs> that's the thing. That's why he looks... I mean, we'll get to Empire Strikes Back, but that's why he looks so different Empire Strikes Back from uh, from A New Hope is because he had an accident. He had like, literal had facial reconstruction, era. yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's that. And uh, mm. I literally cannot wait. It's going to be so good. It's going to be good fun. Yeah, based on this this image that they've shown that goes along with the article on StarWars.com, when it's got yep. like Obi-Wan and Mace Windu and like Han Solo and Rey and stuff up against, um, up against like stormtroopers and like first order level stormtroopers and a, and a and a legless Darth Maul and what I can see yep. is Greedo and Anakin. Oh God, can't wait. Um, yeah, good. it's going to be awesome. Uh, so yeah, they also, I just love that in one of the images they've given, Poe is in a Christmas sweater and there's actually a Christmas tree inside the Falcon. So there's, there yep. you go. I wonder if they'll actually be returning to, to voice them. Yeah. I'm not sure what, whether they've been generally voiced by, uh, like the voice actors for them in the, the TV shows, or whether it's oh they like they the they actors. they certainly haven't, but I'm just yeah it's it's curious. Yeah. Uh, so there there you go. Uh, our next little uh, piece of piece of news is regarding the Mandalorian, uh, mm. because God knows we can't get enough of Mandalorian news. Uh, mm. Anyway, so uh, this actually pertains to a trailer, season two trailer coming out next week. Apparently, don't hold us to this, but uh, recent reports have discussed the growing possibility that we will be receiving the trailer for the second season as soon as next week, because up until the emergence of the pandemic, uh, Star Wars Celebration uh, for 2020 was meant to take place this month until it was cancelled. Um, this is one of the many reasons that have given rise to the belief that the trailer will be dropping very soon. Um, but otherwise, the trailer is believed to be dropping in the first round of uh, the NBA playoffs, which as Australians we know a lot about. Um, putting the release... <laughs> no. <laughs> God, no. Uh, putting the release of the trailer on either the 21st or the 22nd of August. Uh, so that is more of a growing possibility as Star Wars trailers of the past have actually coincided with this event and come around, come out around this time, including the trailers right. of both The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. So, you know, it's it's um, definitely uh, in more of the uh, realm of possibility. Um, also, with Giancarlo Esposito's recent weigh-in on his character's influence in the second season, as well as providing some insight as to how the infamous Dark Sable will play a role in the series. A first trailer yeah. for the second season is uh, undoubtedly close by. and um, I think so. Yeah. Like, as... they've, they've really done all the filming. They've got yeah. all that ready. And I think it makes sense that this is going to be, like, the big trailer in the way that The Force Awakens last year it was. Because yeah. right now, Mandalorian is the biggest Star Wars thing coming out. It's the only thing that we're going to get Star Wars related um, for a long time. Especially because Mandalorian season one was massive. Like it was such a big impact when it came out. I don't know, like timing wise, like it launched with Disney plus, which has just been yeah. a huge success. So I think 
Disney really wants to like like bring it back. Like here we go, Mandalorian season two. Like bring everyone back in again. Like yeah. I think that would be make sense if it is shown. Then like not sure whether it is gonna be confirmed then or not. But either way, I think sometime soon, Mandalorian season two, the trailer will be coming out soonish because is it is it slated to be similar time the end of this year, end of twenty twenty to be released? It's supposed to come out in October. Uh, no right. specific date in October has been announced, but it's I wonder definitely how supposed to be in much, October. I wonder how much earlier the first trailer we got for Mandalorian was in front of the, when that show came out. Yeah. Would you mind looking that up for a quick sec? Because we'll just, sure. uh, we'll, we'll let you guys know. Um, but yeah, so as for what the trailer for the second season of the Emmy nominated series could entail, uh, it would hopefully begin to shed some light on the many rumored characters expected to appear because like, you know, including possible cameos from Captain Rex, Bo-Katan, even the great Boba Fett, that's been rumoured, with Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka Tano being the only confirmed ancillary character to appear. The trailer is is very highly anticipated with the plethora of followers the show's already amassed, because you were just talking about it, right? Like, you know, the fact that it launched with Disney+, and it was the first Star Wars series, everyone immediately just, like, warmed to it. It was loved. I loved it. I know that we were both really big fans of it. Um, So the fact that this... So, I, I like, you know... This is obviously like, you know, it's starting to get a little bit more traction. It's starting to um, be able to, um, we're starting to be able to believe that this will actually be coming next week, which is really exciting. Um, But also when it does, people are going to go nuts because that's another thing you were just talking about. Star Wars is clearly focusing on the Mandalorian because we we talked about it in our behind the scenes, uh, you know, uh, episode that we did on it and stuff like that. Yep. They really established a system as to how to make these series that really works. So obviously Mandalorian is something they'll be excited to uh, debut again with season two. Um, yes, did the, you... uh, yes, I did. Yeah. So the first trailer, I think, said it came out on August 24th and then the actual show was released November 12th. So yes. if it is released in August, uh, October this year, then in terms of like roughly earlier when it would be, we should be getting it pretty much anytime soon yeah but like that's not necessarily one-to-one comparison but yes i think this sometime in august we'll definitely get our first trailer i reckon i think so too yeah which is really exciting i can't wait to see more uh because i mean we were just talking about it with all the characters that are expected to appear oh yeah you know what that'll be probably like you know how in the rogue one trailers all you got to see was like the back of vader's helmet or something like that Mm. or or yeah um it Ahsoka is like one of those characters that in this trailer will be treated as like the cliffhanger. Like, you know, there'll be all this awesome footage Mm. and then like it'll fade to black and quickly it'll show back up and you'll see like, I don't know, maybe her... Maybe her Togruta horns, maybe she'll, yeah. like, it'll be like a, a glance over the shoulder or maybe she sparks up a lightsaber, who knows? Um, I think I think it depends because two hardcore Star Wars fans, yes, that's probably going to be the thing we are most excited for, like that's going to be hinted at or revealed. But yeah. Mandalorian is also pretty popular with just the general Star Wars going, Star Wars going Absolutely, community, like, yeah. the ones that watch the movies. And so, like just the movies you don't want to like, watch Clone Wars or so. So um, I think... It might not necessarily be built up as the whole focus of the trailer, but I think we'll definitely get like glimpses or, or like they'll try and like build it up, like not like primarily, but like the main focus of the trailer will probably be on the main characters from season one. Yeah, that we'll definitely. Again, I think yeah. so. Because but people yeah. people will lose their mind if they see like, you know, uh, Cara Dune because she was so loved, or like you know, mm. or, or the easy way out, which would be Baby Yoda, because people want to see more of Baby. <laughs> oh Yoda. yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just because people have been so excited to see Ahsoka back that she's the person who'd be like, okay, we've got all this awesome stuff that we're going to be focusing on, but also here's this character. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Um, Do you imagine if they gave Baby Yoda a little hat? 
<laughs> well, I'm not sure. I mean, like, you know, what the... Because they haven't established what the timeline for this... Uh, for give the, him for a Mandalorian helmet. Will be. Like, you know, give him a Mandalorian helmet. Like, you know, maybe let, he'll be a little bit more let, grown up. Let his, knows? Yeah, let his ears come out of the helmet, but, like, give him a little Mandalorian helmet to put it on. Because yeah, he's no. now... He's part of the Order. <laughs> he, yeah, he's he's part of the... Uh, the, the um, uh, what is it? The Mudhorn clan, I suppose they are now, because of their... Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I've seen concept art for that, like little like Pinterest illustrations that people have done where is Baby it? Yoda is in his Mandalorian outfit and he's just got like two holes on the side for his huge ears, um, which would be hmm. which would be very funny if they ever decided to do that. But yeah, there you go. Mandalorian season yeah. two, uh, a trailer for that. Be sure to um, expect it anytime soon uh, because it's been uh, rumored on several several different uh, sites so we thought we'd talk about it and uh, yeah apparently August 21st 22nd because that's when the NBA playoffs are going to happen so um, yeah there you go uh, and that brings an end to the news for today and we are making pretty good time we're only about 25 minutes in so now we can get into our main discussion uh, so Basically, what we've been doing is we've basically been doing these every second week, which I think is a it's a um you know it's a system that's managed to work well for us so far. Uh, anyway, the Star Wars saga retrospective that we've been doing has brought us to Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Michael, uh, yes, yes. I mean, what, what can you say? <laughs> what can you say? It's Empire. Good film. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Here's the thing. All right. What the most common answer when someone asks you, Hey, what's your favorite Star Wars movie? Look, it's not everyone's favorite. I know people who enjoy film, uh, whose Star Wars, uh, whose favorite Star Wars movie is not Empire Strikes Back. But if you had to pick the one that the most people would say, the most popular answer, it's Empire. It just is. But why? All right. Why? Like, what would you say if that a very simple follow-up question was asked. Because it seems to me that because Empire has been out since 1980, we just celebrated its 40th anniversary. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's if, build, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you actually asked, but why is it the best? You know, like I honestly would probably end up saying something like, well, because it is. It's Empire. Just come on. I think so. Um, it could be different for a lot of people, but like, yeah, yeah. you could try and work out because as you were saying, general consensus is it is the best. And I think like individual fans there could be reasons why it's their favorite but i think as a filmmaker as a film and like the filmmaking of it and the and the elements of star wars that encapsulates i think is the is the most interesting things to analyze absolutely and that's why i mean you know a lot about you you've known me for a long time now michael you know something that i love to do i don't just love to watch movies i love to analyze them the filmmaking the story structure the characters how they go from point a to point b from the start of the movie to the end of the movie that has always really intrigued me and it's just been a hobby of mine for God knows how long now. Um, so I actually, because, you know, obviously watched the movie again, uh, probably for my like 675th viewing of this movie. Yeah. Um, and I tried to watch it with fresh eyes as if I was in the cinema in 1980 and I took a bunch of notes and I started to think about what is it about Empire Strikes Back fundamentally that made people fall back in love with Star Wars after a three-year hiatus from the first film um, that not only met people's expectations for a sequel 
but surpass them. So we're going to take a very in-depth, closer look at Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. And there are three separate reasons, thematic reasons, Michael, why this movie, I think, works so well that I started to just, you know, formulate into basically what turned into a bit of a... It. It, it, it honestly turned into a bit of an essay when I was writing the notes for my, um, you know, analysis of the movie. But I think that if you wanted to crack this down into three main points, it would be the movie's structure, its sense of urgency that never, ever goes away and the fact and what it does with the characters the characters from the first film uh yeah so i would so the first thing i would basically say when talking about this movie is ask you what a good sequel is supposed to do because i think the a good sequel is supposed to take everything that you loved about the first film and elevate them not only in terms of uh, of spectacle showing you cool stuff but also allow for the evolution of the characters and their respective dynamics Uh, i think yeah, there's a variety of different ways to go with sequels towards, like, what people like from the original and just do more of it or, like, take the original characters and continue their story in new and interesting ways. And I think this does, like, most of the things where it, like, it gives you the characters and the parts of A New Hope that people like the most, which was generally the dynamic between Luke, Leia, and Han and, like, and their, like, fun shenanigans and the Falcon and all that. It also takes the elements of the Force that people like, expands that out, and it also just gives us a bigger and grander view of the Star Wars galaxy and the universe with like where we get to see more of the empire, get to see more of Darth Vader. So I think it really encapsulates many of the things that people loved about a new hope and just stretches them out to being like more featured in the film. Exactly. Like, you know, so the, the thing that the, that this seek that the empire does is it takes what everyone loved about the film, the first film, and not only, you know, maintains that shows you more of it and make sure that you'll, that you'll just like, you know, love what you see, but also, you know, New themes, new characters, new problems to face. And that's yeah. precisely what Empire does. It's what every Lobot. sequel should do. <laughs> Lobot, exactly. Um, and from scene number one, you are treated to a sense of wholesome familiarity when you see Luke and Han speaking to one another. Like, that's something that you yeah. need. I think that's something that you really needed to show, regardless of what was going to happen later on in the movie. You needed to, um, like, you know, the first film... Sorry, not the first film, the first scene needed to be something that the audience was familiar with. And seeing Luke and Han talking to one another in this sort of like brotherly bond that they've um, formed in what is actually a three-year time gap from A New Hope mm. was something yeah. that is uh, was, was a great choice in terms of, uh, you know, starting the movie. Yeah. But the best thing the movie does from here on out is splitting those characters up. Because they were something, something I noticed was about the early scene. Yeah, it talked about like um at the rebels led by uh, Luke Skywalker. In three years, he went from being just like a basic recruit, like to a pilot, to being like the commander of the entire base or whatever. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the thing is that like you know it seems as though in Star Wars, like you know that tends to happen if you just do something right. Because yeah, yeah um because uh you know Luke blows up the Death Star, he becomes uh, Commander Skywalker. Uh, in the Hoth fight. Um, Wedge orchestrates bringing down an entire AT-AT and basically becomes one of the, um, you know, uh, heroes of that fight. He becomes the leader of uh, the X-Wing squadron in Return of the Jedi. Uh, You know, stuff like that. It's it's a natural progression that doesn't actually, that isn't actually shown in the movies, but is a cool little, like, tidbit if you want to... I think it hints to, like, the non-hierarchical structure of the Rebel Alliance, how they are just a ragtag group of people, like, coming together to, like, try and take down a bigger threat and so like hierarchy and your status really doesn't play as much of a point of how helpful are you to the rebel alliance if you are helpful then you're given positions of authority to like help command and like 
you know, lead people. Exactly. I think, that, I think it's cool. It's interesting. I, I think this world could learn it's a lot big, from that. <laughs> yeah. It's in big contrast to the the Empire, which is, I guess, meant to show a more, like, militaristic, more hierarchical system where, like, it's, uh, it's like, admirals and, like, captains, and they're all, like, constantly squarreling with each other, like, who's in command or what, what needs to be done and all that. Exactly. I think it's an interesting, interesting... Uh, uh, juxtaposition. Yeah. Although I do think one of my favorite lines in the film yeah. is where uh, Vader is, is like a uh, force choking Admiral uh, Ozzel. Admiral and he starts off the sentence with Captain Piet, do this, do that, something like that. Yeah. And by the time, by the end of the of that scene, he's like, uh, your job now, Admiral Piet. And yeah. it's like he gets a promotion during that conversation. I know, I because love it. The, because the admiral died. But yes, continue on your essay. He's he's like he is clumsy as he is stupid, which is great. Yes. Uh, and then yeah, no, I love that because he goes Captain Pierre at the start, and then at the end he's like, "You are in command now, Admiral Pierre. Thank yeah. you, Lord Vader." And then he just I love the the thing that happens before you know it does like a cross a, a star yep. wipe, and then you get back to the yep. rebels. He like he like <laughs> he, nod, he like nods off to the side and just lifts his head. So clearly he's yeah. saying to some guy, "Hey, can you just drag this guy away? I just took his job, and you know you can just you can." put him it's out to garbage shoot whatever whatever it's suits great you. yeah it's <laughs> um admiral piet's one of my favorites yeah no he's great and especially in this movie especially in this yep. movie because there are some great reactions by the imperial officers in this movie mm. because the at, at several points um it's it, it happens when the falcon gets away uh or not gets away but they it, they end up hiding them yep. hiding from them again it's mainly in admiral piet's uh um uh, you know, facial expressions. There have been mm. essays and books wrote, written about how Admiral Piet survived the wrath of Darth Vader because there are mm. several instances in this movie where he could have met his death very easily. Like, like we you know, yep. we're skipping to the end here, but the part when the, when a Millennium Falcon actually, you know, gets fixed and they jump into hyperspace, the moment that that happens, it doesn't cut to Vader, doesn't cut to the heroes, it cuts to Admiral Piet and his face. He's just like, I am screwed. Vader's going to kill me. We're done. Mm. <laughs> uh, that doesn't happen of course but you know some of that stuff is just it shows and it, it builds up vader as a villain like you know that is the that's the the sort of thing that he's just struck into his subordinates is if you screw up he will yeah. murder you but yeah that's 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 that but anyway getting yeah. back to what we were talking about when it turned in terms of uh you know taking what was great about the first film in not just you know, the characters and the dynamic, but also allowing them to evolve with new problems to face. That is precisely what Empire does the best because from scene number one, um, you know, you get basically, you know, like we were just talking about Han and Luke together, but then they split up. And after that mm. set piece that takes place on Hoth, the two story arcs in the film are, are set up. They completely diverge from one another. Um, and that is something that, you know, I, I researched it a little bit. And that was something that wasn't actually very popular in terms of screenwriting techniques. Like, you know, it, it was often uh, just yeah. a, a, a rule of thumb that you should have one consistent narrative that you can focus on because that'll make sure that you don't just bog your your story and your script down in unnecessary stuff. But this, but in terms of, of, of this, in terms of what you need to do for the characters the movie called for it because luke goes off uh to find yoda become a jedi and han leia and chewing 3po desperately try to escape the empire and uh you know that takes it also allows yeah. it also allows for like scenes that we don't necessarily need to see like that you don't need to show it all happening yeah but like allow like time jumps seamlessly in between like rather than just like a oh we've had a time jump it's like it shows luke shows what luke's doing then cuts to cloud city where they're like 
where they're like waiting around and there's clearly been a small time jump since when we were looking at Luke. Something happens there. Then we go back to Luke and he's already had his training for a little bit of time. Like it, it, lean, it leads into this idea where you can feel like the plot is like going forward in time without having this like uh, jarring time jumps because it's like jumping between both stories. I think it's really interesting. I think that's exactly right because like, you know, I think that I read somewhere that uh, Luke was on Dagobah for about a month. Um, yeah, it's yeah, like because significant because the idea is they were they didn't jump to a uh, Bespin. They had to fly there like uh, in real space. Yeah, which took them like a month to do exactly. Like you know because like you know they didn't have their hyperdrive system, so they needed to get to the uh, they needed to get there manually. Uh, and mm. you know that thing that happens with Luke is that he goes from Yoda's hut when he's convincing him to be trained, and the next time you see him, he's climbing vines and swinging on trees and stuff. Like you know, there's obviously yep. been a time jump, but they don't have to spoon feed to you that this is that there no. has been a time jump. It, it, it just it just goes with it. And expects the audience to carry it. The best thing that this movie does, or maybe one of the best things it does, is that it respects its audience, which is great. Um, yeah, and it takes what was set up in Star Wars and builds on it by taking the group itself, this established group of heroes, um, as a, and taking them from being what was a tightly wound unit in Star Wars when they're jumping all around the Death Star, what have you, uh, yep. and making them have to diverge so that you have the opportunity for growth. And that kind of growth, and the kind of growth that occurs without them all being together, could not happen otherwise. And the reason that these two storylines work so well together is because how of how different they are from one another. If you were on Dagobah yeah. with Luke and Yoda the entire time, it's incredibly well done. But at the same time, uh, you know, the film slows down, but in the best of ways. I think so. Like you know, yeah. you know, it's 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 really interesting what you're seeing, but it's a lot, um, you know. Uh, less uh you know uh, uh slow in terms of, of pacing but not in a bad it's, way so yeah it's not as urgent i feel like yeah. it's a lot more it's slower paced you get to explore more of both luke and yoda and then the force of itself uh and like gives you an interesting insightful look into the star wars universe but like if it, as you're saying if it was just that story for like for like an entire half of the film or whatever it would really drag like i guess you could compare it to like phantom menace or some so where they have a number of different set pieces or or like areas they're in but because it they're all at once like the entire tatooine part is all at once or the entire coruscant part is all at once it kind of like it can like drag but because they're jumping between bespin and between uh, Dagobah, which are very different in terms of both the characters there and also what's going on in each of the in each of the uh, areas. It like it does make a more interesting film to watch. I exactly think. because, like you were just talking about, there is a welcomed sense of a lack of urgency when you're with Luke and Yoda because you need to take the time to build Luke into the character he becomes. So you need to be able to inject a sense of urgency into the film otherwise in a fresh and exciting way, which is when Han and Leia's storyline come in, comes in because it takes what was so good about the original film, something is always happening. Something was always happening in A New Hope. Something is always happening with them in Empire. From the moment they're off Hoth, they're thrusted into a dogfight with Star Destroyers, the asteroid field yep. chase happens, and they end up inside the giant asteroid creature. Now... First of all, before we go any further, the asteroid field fight is one of the better parts of the movie, not only because it's got one of my so favorite John Williams scores, the asteroid field, it's called. If you haven't, if yeah. you, if you, if, if it's even starting at all to fade from memory, go listen to it now. It's a, it's an amazing piece of music um, and it fits mm. exactly with what you're seeing in the film because I remember there's, there's 
a shot. There's a there's a shot, and it just lends itself to how good Erwin Kirshner was as the director of this movie. Is uh, when the Falcon is swaying from one side to another, just dodging asteroids, and the you know the Tie Fighters are behind them. Uh, it's just it's it's so well done. The way they intercut between one another, it's perfect. Uh, yeah, so that's something that I love about the movie um, in terms of just a single set piece. But um, yeah, that right there is where the film makes its most intelligent choice as a coherently structured piece of art. We were just talking about how when something slows down with Luke and Yoda, something hypes itself up with Han and Leia. Like, you know, when something slows down, the other speeds up. Uh, but but then, when, the, when their storyline slows down and gives time for the development of their characters, when they sit in the creature and they start to do repairs on the Falcon and Han and Leia have their moment, uh, the other storyline picks up again. You know, R2 falls into the river, almost gets taken out by a deadly swamp creature. And of <laughs> course, Yoda showing up and trying to snatch, like, Luke's torch. <laughs> you know, Yoda. um... You seek Yoda. Take you to him, I will. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yoda is so good in this he film. He is. He's got... So, I mean, one, his voice is interesting because it's, like... It's very different to other Yoda portrayals we have. Like, I feel like it's, it's like, adap evolved over time to, like the Yoda voice yeah, that's like iconic exactly. it's very, this is this is a lot more similar to like um, Frank Oz's other characters like is it, I think Fozzie Bear is probably the closest one or two absolutely or like his more Muppet ones it's a lot more closer to that than it is as his traditional Yoda but it's interesting also there are some great facial expressions from Yoda where his eyes just go massive that's true it's yeah it's hilarious. There's like a number of scenes with that in his, in this film, but like we never see that in any of the other Yoda things. Like I guess in Return of the Jedi, he's older and so he's dying. Yeah. But like in the prequels, we never see like shocked Yoda, like wow, like that type of eyes. Oh yeah, I... we never see that in, in the Clone Wars. He's always just <laughs> cheeky. That's true. You know what? I think I know yeah. exactly what you mean. It's that part where yeah. uh, Luke accidentally drops the rocks. And yeah. Yoda's like, there's that, there's that part, but there's also the part where Luke begins to lift the uh, X-wing or something. Oh yes, where, no, that's one of my favorite Yoda's Yoda moments. Eyes, Yoda's eyes are just like massive. It's great. Yeah, no, because um, that face is like, oh my god, he's doing it. Like you know, it's it's. I, that's what I yeah. love about Yoda. I like I like to think that it's like Yoda. Like obviously gives him this task, thinking, okay, he is very inexperienced Jedi. I'm going to show him that lack of faith is just. Like a faith is disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> but like, but then like he as like legitimately surprised by how strong in the force he is. Like, oh, he's actually kind of decent at it. Yeah. And then he's like, well, you know, I'm just gonna flex on you by lifting it up for <laughs> exactly. We're gonna get back into also, Yoda shortly, but yeah. you know, we were just talking okay, about yeah, yeah. is like you know when something slows down in this movie, the other storyline picks back up. It's this movie. It's these two storylines and how they work in tandem so well together that really lends itself to how well written. Uh, this movie is, and which is why you got to give mad, mad props to Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriter of this movie, who also wrote um, Return of the mm. Jedi and Force Awakens, um, and also Solo. He also wrote Solo with his son, I believe, uh, Jake Kasdan. But uh, this was his first movie he did for yep. Lucasfilm, and his first collaboration with George Lucas, I believe, and it just lends itself to how well he did, because the perfectly balanced dichotomy of the scenes that switch between one another in Empire is why it works so well. And regardless of whether it's in the, in the same story arc, something is always keeping you engaged. Uh, so this is what I mean by taking 
what was built on in the first film and elevating it. In Star Wars, something was always happening, yes, but in only one singularly flowing storyline. Luke and Obi-Wan get to Mos Eisley, they find Han, they go to the Death Star, they find Leia and such and such. But in Empire, the same thing is happening, but on two different stages. It would have been easy to stick to a system that clearly worked in the first film, but Empire took chances, and yep. that's why it works so well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, yeah, there are a lot of, like, not unconventional, but, like, interesting ways which this goes, which feel very different to uh, A New Hope, especially, I think, one of the biggest ones being tone, is this tonally goes for a very different feel to A New Hope. Oh, yeah. A New Hope is very, like, very, like, uh, hopeful, <laughs> is a funny idea, but, uh, <laughs> and, like, very, like, adventurous and very, like, oh, the, the tag, ragtag group of friends go and they defeat the bad guys. Like, it's got, like, that type of tone. Whereas this film is very much, like, constantly just being beat down and like on the run and like this overwhelming force is just attacking them at all sides but also there is a smaller kind of like this kind of like this difference to the other parts of the film whereas like what's happening with Han and Leia is very like a they're only they're like they're like a only chance is Luke. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not quite sure how. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's yeah, like, yeah, I I do understand what you mean because taking the like, it's just it, it lends itself back to taking you know the two storylines that are completely separate from one another and really have no relevance to each other until the end of the film and having them yeah. complement each other nonetheless. Because I mean, we can just going yeah, back going back yeah. to it again. This idea of two completely divergent stories that eventually lead up were. It, it, it just wasn't a thing that happened. Like, you know, what what, what was it? In 1980. Like, movies like The Shining were coming out the exact same year. Like, you know, uh, you know, um, famous, like, auteur directors like Stanley Kubrick didn't even do this. Like, you know, it was, it was mm. something that was completely experimental and it worked so well to the point that it happens all the time. Um, it, it happens all the time now. And, you know, uh, then you come to a point in the film where, anyway, moving on, uh, you come to a point in the film where the two storylines begin their convergence, that I guess you could say, that is completed by the end of the film when Luke leaves Dagobah out of fear that Han and Leia will die. And even as they begin to come mm. together, the two arcs continue to affect each other because Luke's belief, Luke's belief that they're in trouble is what draws him into their story. Lando tells Han and Leia yep. that Vader's trap for Luke has been set. That drags them into his story. Like, you know, both arcs create tension based on the other storyline if that makes any sense. Mm. And once both storylines begin to wrap up with, you know, Leia, Chewie, and Lando escaping from the Empire, and the two storylines become intertwined again when Luke calls out to Leia and the film begins to wrap up. So in those final moments, the story once again becomes, you know, one singularly crafted unit. And But only having this occur for the final scene is so brilliant because it wraps it up in a, it, it, the, the film wraps up in a way that you're familiar with, which is something that I think needed to, needed to happen. So... Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, I think so. Yeah, yeah, despite it working perfectly, the sense of familiarity that provide that it provides to the audience was, I think, the wisest choice that you could have made as to how to wrap up the second installment of the trilogy. So yeah. Unfortunately, though, we didn't get any giant meetings talking about trade disputes and politics. Yeah, that so. came later. <laughs> not the best. Not the best Star Wars sequel, but. <laughs>
Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it shows how a divergent storyline that uh, a, a divergent storyline structure built on the characters themselves um, at the same time sets the stage for chapter three for Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, you know, and for that reason, Empire shows why it's three act structure that yeah. follows very heavily. Like, Plus, you know, first act Hoth, second act is very much based in space and Dagobah, and then the third act on Bespin. And, you know, it served hmm. to inform not only the Star Wars films going forward, but all movies that were yet to come, not just Star Wars. So, yeah. I mean... I think also this film is, like, really good at setting up Darth Vader as a villain. Like, in A New Hope, like, A New Hope, Vader's cool, but he's hardly in it, and he doesn't really do much. Aside from, like, choke one incompetent Imperial and, like, Like, fight fight Obi-Wan a little bit. And go, what? At the end of the movie? And, like, in space, he's a bit... Yeah. Yeah, what? Like, aside from that, he doesn't do too much. Whereas in this, every scene Vader's in is just, like, building up his, like, threat, his power. And then, and then we've talked about it before, but his fight with Luke is just toying with him, oh, like, yeah. finding out his no, power. No, we're going to get into that now. Just messing Because something, that, uh, something else that, that, yeah. movie, that this movie does really well, I guess what you would call the second, like, you know, overarching theme point that makes this movie so beautiful and perfect is urgency the sense of urgency that it is always creating because with how well received star wars was the first scene where luke and han are out scouting could have been han and luke eating lunch and people would have gone for gone crazy for it but the reason that particular scene works so well is because you are enthralled into the action instantly from out of nowhere the wampa comes and boom we have a problem how is it going to be solved we don't know you know, um, you know, con- and then you continue on when you get to see that the rebellion is is steadily growing. Like, you know, that, that's another thing that this movie did so well that you sort of said in the opening is it continued to build out the lore of Star Wars. We had never seen just an ice planet before and it's showing new settings, new planets, new backgrounds. It's it's just that was something that I think really worked well in the um, in the in the original trilogy that you don't get a lot of in the sequel trilogy. And that's why the original trilogy is so revered. Um yeah, so yeah. Um, that's something that I've always loved about it because, like, you know, the Rebellion is bigger now, as you can see from the moment they show up and when, when Han arrives back on his Tauntaun, they're still heavily secluded on a practically inhospitable ice planet, of course, but they're not all huddled in an underground Yavin temple anymore. So these hmm. are the things that are shown but not told, sort of like the time jump that happens, that you have to give Lawrence Kasdan so much credit for conceptualizing and the, the, the level of respect that he had for the audience because, you know... George Lucas, regardless of the reception of Star Wars now, and basically it can appeal to literally anyone, he set out to make mm. a children's film. He set out to make a children's film that was based on the stuff that he loved as a kid. And and then Lawrence Kasdan took one look at the reception of the first film and, and thought, you know, we have a chance here to appeal to all demographics, not just, you know, a, 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 lo- yeah. a localized um, uh, audience, which is a for lack of a better word, what Lucas was going for, but in the best of ways. Because, you know, something else that this movie does, and it's actually a reason why not everyone loved Empire when it first came out, is that it takes all these fun things that happen, like, you know, lightsaber fights and Yoda and such, but it also takes really dark thematic elements and plays with that. Like, you know, when I was young, I didn't understand what the hell the cave scene meant. You know, when 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 Vader's mask opens up and you see Luke inside. Yeah. Um, because, like... It's it's something that you know. I don't think Star Wars fans were um, were ready for. I think, uh, but it works all the same. So that sense of urgency, yeah, especially yeah. 
coming out of a new hope where pretty much a new hope is probably one of the most lighthearted of the Star Wars films, yeah. I think. Like it takes definitely the lightest t- approach and as you said, while Star Wars is for everyone, it was made in mind of being like four kids. Yeah. And I think Empire doesn't necessarily go against that. Like I think you can definitely do darker storylines and more complicated storylines that not everyone understands necessarily on their first viewing for kids as well. But like it expands that out further saying like like he, here's what you liked about a new hope. We'll take this in a new direction and like hopefully you like it as well. And I think I think it definitely was a success considering how popular it is. But even when I was younger and like yes, I agree. I didn't necessarily understand everything on my first approach. I think you can you can tell that this like as I was saying like tone is is like a like the the tone of the film is immediately noticeable, and I think that even even as like younger, you can still in, get enjoyment outside of it. And I think that's why one of the reasons why it's so good that Star Wars is for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, getting back to that whole sense of urgency that it's always creating something's always happening. Like we were talking about with the with the story structure. Like you know, Han is leaving. Han has to go find Luke. The Empire is closing in on them when the probe droids land, and that and that never stops. That sense of urgency doesn't go away until Luke is getting his robotic hand attached at the very end of the movie. Um, and that yeah. is why Empire keeps you on the edge of your seat at every point in its runtime and you know something else that it does specifically in the action scenes is how tension slowly builds my favorite part of the hoth set piece uh you know when the adats sorry the 8080s move in is you know that part where you can't even see them yet there's that time there's that um that part of john williams score which is again it's just beautiful when it's just like dun dun Dun, dun. like you know it's just like this this oh yeah. it's it makes your hair stand up music before that rebel trooper like gets his scopes and sees the AT-ATs on the horizon also i just realized i did it myself so we need to just settle this once and for all michael is it AT-ATs yes. or at ats i don't think it matters but personally i say AT-ATs. i think yeah uh, exactly like it's not it's not life or death that people say it differently but i think it's AT-AT yeah. because what about like you know ATTEs from the Republic yeah. and ATSTs. You don't like, yeah. You don't say AST and ATT. I think it's mostly just like older people who've just always said it like that, which is fine. Like, yeah. if someone says AT AT, I don't care. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I just personally say ATAT because I'm a nerd about things and I don't particularly think AT or AT <laughs> is like particularly good, good ways of, of naming things convention wise. But as I was saying, perfectly fine yeah. however well you know what it's preferred to as an at-at in one of the movies in rogue one hmm. one of the rebel soldiers on the scarif beach calls it an at-at like that we, yeah. uh so yeah that's it's interesting i mean it makes sense like it, like at-at would be it's like official like numerical thing but like they always nickname or like do different pronunciations of like robots and like call numbers and stuff throughout the film I exactly mean, they're never like they hardly ever refer to him as r2d2 he's always r2 yeah, well, only it's, it's in the same C-3PO way refers to him as r2d2 it's in the same way that the clones called the droids clankers and like you know the, yeah. the ghost uh crew in the rebels called the stormtroopers imps and bucket heads and stuff like that you know yeah. it would make sense that in the colloquial terms used in the star wars universe AT-ATs would be nicknamed as adats because you know yeah. it, it is what it spells phonetically like so, how AT- ATSTs are called chicken walkers yeah exactly uh, 
And then, yeah, well, like we were just talking about, when the AT-ATs slowly come into view and a set piece starts, that set piece itself is beautifully directed by Erwin Kirshner because, I mean, that's yeah. another thing we've got to talk about. Erwin Kirshner, you know, rest in peace, did an amazing, amazing job with Empire Strikes Back. George Lucas uh, was actually one of Erwin Kirshner's teachers. Oh, sorry, no, sorry, around the wrong way. Erwin Kirshner taught George Lucas. And then, George, mm. and then uh, Lucas, uh, you know... Um, approached him to direct his second film. So um, that hmm. was something that was just, you know, a cool little tidbit of trivia for you. But um, yeah. yeah, something that you didn't get in the first film is how Kirshner frames this battle. He frames the pilots of the speeders in the cockpit as we see what they see. Like it's an over-the-shoulder shot. You get to see what they are looking yeah. at from head on. Like, you know, that's something yeah. like in the Death Star fight, for instance, in A New Hope. You know, that scene is amazing. But in terms of, you know, camera shots, that's something that you didn't get. You know, something you got, yeah, you got like the screens when they were targeting things, or you got like kind of a, a, a front from in front of the X Wings when they're shooting at things. Yeah. But you didn't really get an all over the shoulder, like, yeah, cockpit Im- yeah. Im- video photo of them. Because I guess because the uh, shot of them, because that way, because you couldn't really do that, I guess, the way they did it, because they had like filming the people inside the cockpit and they would like film the miniatures outside of it, but they didn't really ever have them both put together in the one shot. Exactly. And like, you know, you can't falter for that because obviously Empire had a bigger budget than A New Hope because it was so yeah. successful, but it, cause it ended up being so successful, but still like this, this almost like first person shooter element that, o- that Owen Kirstner, um, you know, employed in the scene is beautiful. Yeah. It really and immerses you in the battle. Absolutely. It gets you right into the and action. Battle of Hoth was like one of my favorite battles when I was younger. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, something that the 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 fight does itself is that it not only shows you you know they need to beat these 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 things but it creates tasks something that's really important in star wars set pieces in particular is okay we need to do this in rogue one you need to find a master switch uh you know that you know in especially in clone wars that was something that dave filoni did so well and obviously it was on display as early as empire strikes back because you know as soon as they go up against these at-80s you know luke's like okay use your harpoons and and tow cables go for the legs it might be only chance of stopping them you know stuff like that is what works so well such a fun thing and you know it never fails to keep you um engaged no matter how many times you watch it uh yeah it's it's Mm. awesome and as for han and leia's storyline in terms of how tension could you tell guys we like this film sorry could you tell guys we like this film yeah (laughs) it's not half bad uh yeah yeah. and as for han and leia's storyline we talked about it a little bit with luke and you know in terms of how they build urgency you can cut the tension with a knife basically at any point when they're in the Falcon. Because in terms of a simple writing choice, having their hyperdrive malfunction is just a great, great idea because it puts the Empire and the Falcon on equal playing field, wherein this cat and mouse game needs to be happening at all times. Because, look, take take the asteroid field chase. Like, we were just talking about it, but again, coming back to it, having the first thing we see of it be just like a loud thud as Han is trying to repair something down below, which also is one of the parts uh, of this film that it's um, that is... Uh, funniest because you know uh, when he's like I don't know how we're gonna get out of this one and Han and Chewie like hands him a bunch of tools but he puts it like yep. on the very edge like <laughs> and then it ends up yeah. falling on Han's head uh, but yeah there you go uh, you know Definitely. as soon as it happens you're as surprised as Han is because he doesn't know what it is he's like 
that wasn't laser blast, something hit us. Like, you know, it injects you mm. into the scene because we're as ignorant as they are. And then when he gets back into the cockpit, you find out that they're going in, they're going into the field instead of out. The dialogue itself elevates the tension and the sense of urgency that is building. Because you're not actually going into an asteroid field. The, you know, the, yep. the, the, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. You know, and also, we should just say, uh, let's give a, a little bit of respect to this uh, scene itself because uh, without it, we wouldn't have um yeah that's our name wouldn't have our name never tell me the odds uh yeah so anyway um and even when things start to die down when they you know the idea of building urgency and tension shifts from the heroes to the antagonists it's not just about the heroes that you need to build tension for it's also vader and the emperor the idea that vader is not is being told to recruit luke to the dark side is something that wasn't even touched on in the first film because you know in the first film the force was introduced you know as a as a um uh, an energy field, but this is when you actually get to really focus on the force as a power. Uh, you know, and uh, it's it's sort of yes. you know it's emphasized in a movie like Last Jedi. Luke says the force is not a power you have, but it definitely has applications in that area, and that's when you get to see it at its. Uh, uh, it's basically when you get to see it for the first time is in Empire. Yep. And, um, but something that we were just talking about in terms of how Vader and the Emperor, you know, that particular scene and how the antagonists build urgency as well, Vader's told to recruit Luke to the dark side and it demonstrates to, you know, the viewers and people that loved the first one that um, not only is there a black and white to the force, like, you know, a dark side and a light side, but you can actually be taken by the dark side if you're not careful. Like, you know, that was yeah. that was something that, you know, even when they, even when Obi-Wan talks about Vader, like, you know, he said, you know, he was a pupil of mine before he turned evil. You know, he says that, yep. but it doesn't. But it's not until Return of the Jedi when you actually get into more of how he was actually seduced by it. You know, that's something that's set up exactly. here, and the way that Kazan expands on what was set up by the idea of the Force in the first film. Obviously, this was in Lucas's head the entire time, but it was actually put on display in Empire. Um, it does much to keep you draw- to keep drawing you in, and like you know, oh, what's going to happen? Um, mm. And exploration of the force is really good yeah really good it is and you were just uh getting into it before we're going to get into it now the the best example of how this film builds tension has to be the fight between luke and vader um yeah this this scene is a masterclass in filmmaking but more specifically how to build tension because that's what we're talking about now from the second Luke proceeds into that industrial compact of Cloud City. The way that that, you know, that bright tunnel he goes into, you know, before the main set piece takes place, where it like hisses open, like that that loud hissing noise that breaks the uncomfortable silence. It quickly comes to light. Luke proceeds through and the doors smash closed again, uh, you know, behind him. It, uh, Mm. it, It breaks a piercing silence that makes you just, your hair stand up every time. And then, when he comes up from that small chute and into the carbonite chamber, it is completely dark. There is no sound. The contention continues to build. And then finally, that dim orange haze of the room lights up again. And all you yep. hear is Vader's breathing. Like the yep. terrifying tone of this set piece is staged from their confrontation. James Old Jones' ominous voice fills the room. I mean, just what can't you say about this mo- about this scene? You know, that... that you know, you, you don't even see him until like the second half of this, you know, little bit of uh, of dialogue when he says, the force is with you, young Skywalker, but you are not a mm. Jedi yet. Like, you know, it's, oh, it's so good. Because not only right. that is Vader appears as no more than a silhouette at the top of the stairs, but you know it's him and you know shit is about to go down. And nothing mm. typifies a dark connotation like that does. And 
Something that I noticed and something that I really loved, just like, you know, I'm going to pause it now and take notes, is the best parts of this fight are when the fights aren't even, uh, is when the fight isn't even going. Every break taken in the opening part of this duel is so significant. When Luke draws his lightsaber and then Vader draws his and then there's that quick moment of silence and all you can hear is the hum of the saber as they stare each other down. But they descend down further into the city's underbelly and Luke waits for Vader to pop out again as everything else is completely silent. It's perfect. You know, it's just, oh, it's so good. And like, you know, we were just talking about is, uh, you know, it's almost you know, this terrifying tone that is set up. It's, this is probably like, none of the Star Wars films are overly like scary, but if you had to mm. pick, this is probably like the scariest scene in a Star Wars movie because Luke is I think proceeding so, down that yeah. hallway and, and Vader just pops out. It's literally a jump scare. Because you definitely see how, at, like some of the time Vader is allowing Luke to like, l- like leading into his like kind of hate a bit, like go aggressive on him. But the times where Vader doesn't hold back, where he is just ravaging against luke is just it's brutal in terms of like the 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 fear and imposing like power that vader has over luke i know it's just yeah because obviously in context of the movie vader wasn't trying to kill him because he was trying to capture him and take him to the emperor you know and that is look if vader was trying to wail on 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 luke he would be dead within within seconds because because at this point it's very clear that vader is so much further ahead of luke i think so because i think it's something that they that they said uh, one of the characters said in uh i think it was jedi fallen order is that you're not fighting vader you're just trying to stay alive you know, it's, and that's mm. something that's, you know, look, if this doesn't advocate how Empire Strikes Back builds urgency and tension at practically every point in the film, especially this moment, I don't know what does. And obviously the next yeah. part that comes that change cinema forever, um, we'll, we're going to, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment because of the, because f- finally the thing that this movie does in terms of like a third thematic point is the characters, the way that it treats yeah. the characters throughout Everything this movie does, building tension, ensuring a sense of ongoing urgency, the three-act structure that it sticks to, whatever, it still manages to prioritize the need for character growth of these people that we met in the first film. Taking them from not only where we left them in Star Wars, but taking them from where we find them at the start of the film and creating a logical progression, you know, to where they are and who they become by the end of the movie. Um, Like, take Luke. Luke is the hero of the trilogy, so it's a good place to start. Um, You know, giving him his own story where he was allowed to grow was a necessity because the idea of the force as not only a source of power, but a power itself, like we were just talking about was introduced in the film. And uh, we get to see Luke actually use it telekinetically for the first time, because that's something that also is uh, that you don't realize until you look back on it is that he never actually uses the force to like grab something until the Wampa cave scene. Mm. Yeah. Um, and just cool little tidbit of trivia again, like, you know, the, that scene was actually created in reverse. Like, you know, Mark Hamill started by holding it and then he like thrusted it into the snow and then they, and they did, and they just reversed yeah. it. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's very trendy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's the progression that we see of Luke's character is thanks to one of the key characters in the film, Yoda. You know, we were just talking about Yoda before, but we can I talk think... about him more now. Is, I think Yoda is probably the best part of this entire film, in my opinion. I well, just, no doubt, one hundred percent, he's the best. He's so part. classic. If Yoda did not work, the film would not work, because he yep. is the catalyst for the entirety of Luke's development in the second installment. So he needed to be believable as a character that interacts with him. You needed yeah. to make this puppet 
into a character. Uh, you know, which is why you cannot give enough credit to Frank Oz and the puppeteering department yeah. of the film and like, you know, for the work they did on Yoda. I mean I mean I personally just am a big fan of puppeteering in I general. I know you are like, film yeah. stuff. But like it's just so good. Like yes, you can obviously tell it's a puppet and it's not it's not obvious creature but that's not the point of it the point of it is it feels real it feels tangible in the star wars universe and you feel like it's a person like a real person that is expressing like characters and emotion basically and that's the best thing about puppets is you can know it's a puppet you can know it's fake but that doesn't affect the way you feel about it in the film which is why it one works so well with Yoda and works overall so well with puppets that I feel like you just don't get as much with the CGI versions of Yoda in the prequels. I absolutely agree. I mean, it just goes back to the Yoda, like to baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. Like, you know, with Werner Herzog, he thought it was real. Like, you know, this thing Mm. has carried on for decades and decades to the point where we're still getting it because technology has progressed. We're able to do things we can do now, but Getting back to Yoda, like, the lessons he teaches Luke the moment he shows up, like, you know, even before he drops the, oh, yeah, I'm just a guy who lives here, facade, you know, when Luke says, I'm here, I'm looking for a great warrior, like, you know, at this point, Yoda's still fooling around with him, but when he says, hmm, war is not make one great, (laughs) that is so deep. He's just, like, you know, it's... So many classic Yoda lines are just completely, like, you could just be like, dude, that's so, that's deep. I know. That's Absolutely. Um, Because, like, you know, and it's just, it serves to, I mean, we're talking about Luke's development. Like, you know, well, let's talk about it more. Is, you know, Luke expects to come to Dagobah and find this all-powerful Jedi Master. Like, and he finds, he's, like he he says, he's looking for a great warrior. He's probably, I mean, it's never, like, fully stated. But but, um, Luke, with, you know, what he saw of Obi-Wan and how he has, you know, prophesized the Jedi in his mind, he was expecting to find some great warrior in a temple somewhere to find... Find out that the greatest power in the universe is typified by this tiny little green alien is, is just, it's so important for Luke as a character because um, it's humbling. It is is humbling because you know, it's great power just doesn't come in. Well, Luke, uh, you know, Yoda says it like, you know, size matters not, not, you know, Um, look at me, judge me by my size. Do you? Mm Hmm. Uh, you know, for my ally is the force. Exactly. You know, the lessons he teaches Luke serve not only as the source of his growth from the naive boy to the Jedi he starts to turn into, but also serves as an allegory for the audience. If you don't believe something can happen, it won't happen. And that's why you get what I believe it's what your, I think it's your favorite quote from Yoda, isn't it? When he's like, that there's, is why you fail. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that, um, there's, yeah. My two favorite Yoda quotes is the, uh, I don't, I'm not afraid. You, you will be, and then the I I don't uh how was the, I don't, the exact I don't line believe it. I don't believe it. That is why you fail. It's just oh, oh, so it good. is so good. Yeah, um, dunks on you, on you Luke. <laughs> <laughs> but the most important thing that this film does with Luke, and I think it actually exceeds the the relationship he has with Yoda, even though it's so powerful, is it makes uh, and it, it serves to make Luke the best character he can be in this trilogy. Is that he makes the wrong choice. He leaves Yoda yeah. before his training is complete. He faces Vader when he's clearly not ready. This isn't mm. stupidity. It's humanity. All right? People make mistakes. It's ha- It happens all throughout life. It's certainly not the only mistake that Luke makes for the rest of his life, but it's the choice that defines his life, as is for also, many of us throughout one's life as well. So, yeah. It's also probably, in overall context, a good decision-ish, because, it, yes, he loses the fight, and yes, he, like... 
it, it, it's like a loss for the Empire and for Luke and all that. But he ends up learning the truth about Vader and gets this nuanced view of, of Vader of like, oh, he's my father. And like, it takes him back a bit that by the time of Return of the Jedi leads to him making his decision that he's not going to kill Vader because Yoda and Obi-Wan are convinced that the only way they can win is through Luke killing Vader. Like they are, none of them are like at all like uh, idea with, uh, uh, accepting the idea that Luke's not going to kill them. They're like, you've already Vader's already won at this point. Yeah. But because Luke has had this encounter with Vader already, he knows that he's his father. He has this nuanced view of him, like that he sees some uh, he sees some light in him right at the end, like the part like if you, when they're connecting, like he can he can sense the small bit of light in him, but. Because of that, he makes the decision to spare Vader's life and then ends up turning him to the light side. I think it, while yes, it is a mistake and is foolish in the time, I think it ultimately was a good decision for the, or at least it, it, it led to a best outcome for the, the rep for the galaxy, I think. To an extent. No, I think so too. You know, like ultimately, you're right. It's the right choice because it creates a third movie. But you know, like um, <laughs> yeah, I, the, the reason that I think it works so well is because it's so relatable to you know, it, it, it's making Luke the protagonist of this story. Like you know, if this was made like you know 30, 40 years earlier, like you know, the, a protagonist of a story is supposed to be someone who like you know always makes the right decision. You know, is is always in command and stuff like that. And like you know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. In this scene. Luke is the most human he can ever be and the most relatable he can ever be because he makes the wrong choice. Like, you know, that's just something that happens throughout life and that's why he's so good as the main character of this trilogy because, you know, it, you know, right or wrong, it defined his entire future going forward. So making Luke choose the objectively wrong decision is exactly what needed to happen and it's why Luke works so well as a protagonist because he's not perfect. He's not perfect, no one's perfect and that's why Luke is 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 just... Yeah, so good. And um, I guess what we were just talking about it, you know, we can get into um, uh, just casually the best twist in cinema history um, when Luke goes and confronts Maybe the Vader. most iconic twist. Maybe the most iconic yeah. twist. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. That's the thing. I've never known it as a twist. Well, yeah, you know what? That's exactly right. I've never known it as a twist either because I've always accepted it as common knowledge. Um, I'm sure there was a yeah. I'm sure there was a time um, when I was still very young when I watched Empire for the first time and I was like, oh God. But even at that point, you're so young that you're just watching it and thinking, yeah. oh, yay, Vader, Luke, Millennium Falcon, yay. So that, That's the thing. The first time I ever watched Empire Strikes Back, it was so long ago and I was, I was like so young that one i i don't actually at all remember the first time no, i've just always known having already seen it but two i don't even remember a time where like the idea of vader not being luke's father and becoming and like being revealed as has any context to me like i only know vader as luke's father no that's so. we're exactly in the but same like yeah i can understand we obviously weren't around at, at the time at the time it would make love. Yeah. yeah. I often ask, I, I often ask myself, cause my dad, like you know, my, my dad and my parents in front like for instance, they, they saw Star Wars in the cinemas. So I, I can't recall how many times I've asked them like, Oh, what was it like in the cinema? Cause I just want to know, like, you know, what was it like in the cinema hmm. to hear that? And people were just like, like uh, apparently cinema, like, you know, this is, you know, from stories I've, uh, been told is crowds lost their minds. Yep. There was like no way he's lying. Like you know that's well that's actually the reaction that James Earl Jones and Mark Hamill had is they were just like no it can't be he's lying because yep. another thing that you don't that a lot of people don't actually realize is 
um, this twist was kept so well under wraps. It's it's sort of like what they do with Infinity War mm. and Endgame, like, you know, those sorts of movies now. It was like that, because what they did, yeah. essentially, is what everyone knew <clears throat> when they read the script was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is that um, the line was, um, uh, you know, he told me enough. He told me you killed him. And it was like, no, Obi-Wan killed your father right? That was the original line. Right. And that's how it was going to play. And then I believe it was the day that they were shooting that scene um, where Owen Kirshner pulled Mark Hamill aside and said, okay, this, I'm about to tell you something. I know it. George Lucas knows it. And now you're going to know it. So if it leaks, we'll know it was you. And then he was like, okay, so what is it? And then he, and then he shows him and it's like, okay, no, it's not um, Obi-Wan killed your father. It's Luke, uh, sorry, I am your father. Um, so right. it, it was something that they did, you know, in that way. There was that's, really, that's really interesting. It is really yeah. interesting. And then actually, that actually happened is um, in the news, I believe it was in the media a few weeks later, uh, the news reported that uh, Obi-Wan was um, the guy who killed Anakin. Like, you know, the headline was Alec Guinness, Alec Guinness yeah. revealed as main baddie. And then like, you know, Mark Hamill and Owen Kirshner were celebrating because they're like, yay, they caught the wrong one. Like, you know, something like that is just yeah. a really nice, cool bit of, uh, you know, trivia tidbit. Yeah, they got the wrong. That I've always, because I... They did a fake one. Yeah, Mark Hamill has actually told that story on like three different talk shows. So, you know, it's something that I've always yeah. loved about the, the making of the film itself. Um, but yeah, that's that's Luke, I suppose. And the other two that you could obviously equate to the most of uh, character development is is Han and Leia and how their relationship grows. Yeah. Because you know the, it it was it was, you know what it wasn't even really hinted on in the first film because you know Han and Leia only <laughs> share a couple of scenes together and other than like a hug in the trash compactor, there wasn't really a sense yeah. of romantic entanglement in that. They're just movie. like yelling at each other. They're the just whole yelling time. at each other the whole time. Honestly, if there was one thing and this is the more disturbing now, but if there was gonna be one romantic entanglement that was most prevalent in the first movie, it was it was Luke and Leia. <laughs> Luke and Leia, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they even hit towards it at the start of the film. Oh as well. no. That's let's not talk about when they kiss. They, like <laughs> okay, they've at at the start of the film, so at, during this film, Empire Strikes Back, they know that um, that Luke is going to be the son of Vader. I guess they just did hadn't confirmed yet that Leia was also going to be the daughter because they add another kiss in there uh, as if they hadn't already had enough in uh, A New Hope. But oh, well, it's that's great. because like I'm not sure how long down the line Lucas and Kazan had the yep. idea to make them brother and sister because even at the end of Empire Strikes Back, once they recover Luke and you know that scene where he's sitting in the Millennium Falcon medical bay and like you know yep. Leia's like tending to him and then she hears a loud noise so she's like I'll be back like you know she kisses him again yep. she kisses him on the oh, lips again no. like I'm just like oh boy <laughs> they're building the relationship I know oh god uh, yeah anyway so it's now led to the, the phrase of doing a Star Wars oh god <laughs> Jesus, uh, New Alabama. But I think that Luke, that Han and Leia's relationship in this movie is one of the better parts of the movie. Like you know, because it takes the relationship they have yeah. at the start when they're just they are not big fans of each other. They're always on each other's net. They they are almost mar uh, arguing like an old married couple years <laughs> before they were married and had yeah. a child. But you know, um, yeah. I, I, I do love the natural progression that happens when they're on the Falcon and Han has that moment and then, like, you know, he convinces him that, you know, uh, well, yeah, they, they, they kiss and then um, and then that leads you to, to Bespin where you get the, um, the line, you know, I love you, I know. And I just love the fact that, yeah. you know, um, um, 
they were doing that scene several, several times. Owen Kirshner was just like, oh, there's something about it that's 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 not right. Because Luke, Leia was saying, I love you. And Han was saying, I love you too. Like that was the line that was written. And then Owen Kirshner kept doing it yep. like, oh no, something doesn't feel right. So he kept pulling Harrison Ford aside. And he was just like, Harrison, just just do what you feel is right. Like, you know, do what you think comes naturally. And then he they rolled camera. Le- Leia says, I love you. And Han Solo says, I know. And then that was it. And then Owen Kirshen was just like, yes, that is what it needed because that is Han Solo. That is uh, precisely what so Han Solo great. would say. Um, and it's even better because in the next film when Han has gone like full, like he's he's like kind of redeemed himself as a, like a rebel leader. And he says to Leia, I love you. And she says, I know. Oh, it's so it's good. beautiful. It really is awesome. And um, something that I love, it's, um, it's, it's a very small moment, but it's something that I love about this scene is um, when the, you know, the, when Han's about to be put into uh, Carbonite, uh, Chewie's reaction when he tries to just like lash out because he, he like, you know, uh, yeah. You see it in Solo, which obviously came out after, but regardless, and like, you know, in episode four and what you saw in episode five, like, you know, Han and Chewie have this really strong relationship. And then when he starts to, you know, just, mm. um, you know, just push stormtroopers aside and stuff, but then Han just pulls him aside and says, this won't help me just stop because it's not going to, it's mm. not going to change the outcome. Like, you know, that's something that I loved about Han Solo as a character is that he accepted it was going to happen. So he just told Chewie, no, you can't change it it just needs to happen you need to take care of the princess for me that's that's something that i love about han solo's character that level of that level of maturity that almost wasn't there in episode four that grows throughout this film is just it's it's awesome because he he goes from this person who's sort of running away from responsibility and he accepts that this is his his fate because like you know we they, they weren't sure if they would ever see each other again so that was something that needed to happen and like that kiss that they share right before the i love you i know thing is just it feels mm. so natural the natural progression of these two characters and what happens from beginning to well, end is just what I'm works not sure so well about was, the movies yeah w- was there ever an intention to kill off han at this point yeah. or was that none for the next absolutely yeah. han's like harrison ford suggested that han be the one to die in this movie um beca- and yeah and uh george lucas was the main one who argued against it because he had plans for return of the jedi and hopefully like you know the sequels and stuff well what were george yeah. lucas's idea of the sequels before the disney sequels came out but um yeah. you know hans uh, harrison ford thought you know um, and he's explained this in length in other interviews is that it's not that he wanted Han Solo to die. He thought that he needed, uh, to go to lend some necessary emotional weight to the story. And in that way, yep. he's not wrong. He's certainly not wrong. And even Lawrence Kasdan, the writer of Empire Strikes Back has said that he agreed. He believed that someone needed to go like, you know, um, but George Lucas, you know, said, you know, respectfully disagree. You know, it's my trilogy. I'm going to mm. do what I want, which is fine. Like that's, you know, it's, it's, it's what, um, he, he, I think you get enough urgency from this scene. Like, 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 yes, you could have had someone die, but it clearly shows that this is a big loss for the rebellion. Yeah. Like, like Han is just, they lose Han. He gets captured and like, mm-hmm. they're in like all scattered. So it gives that across while still leading this opportunity to rescue him in the next film and have the characters reunite for the fine, the final part of the trilogy. So exactly. And I, think- I, I do think, I mean, everyone would agree now, but like after the fact, yeah, definitely George Lucas was on the right idea. Yeah. He, he had, but, he, you know, if there's one person in all of filmmaking that you'd think has the, the, um, best way of 
envisioning the scope of something that doesn't in, that doesn't exist yet it's george <laughs> lucas and you can't fault him for that so so yeah. there you go like oh, uh, uh, ev- yeah. everyone thinks that like you know because um it's 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 common knowledge that harrison ford doesn't love talking about star wars but that's that but that's only and a lot of people yeah. often equate the fact that you know he wanted han solo to die as a way of him saying oh just get mm. me out of here that's not what he was trying to say he was trying to say exactly. that there was uh that you know he thought that for the sake of the story um, someone needed to go, which is, I think, really respectful in terms of what Harrison Ford's view of it was, is that he was thinking purely from what was best for the story, and that's why I have yeah. mad respect for Harrison Ford in that way, and even as an actor oh, now. Harrison Ford is, is so good in these films. Absolutely. Like, like, Hans Zoller is such a classic character. Everyone is so good, but, like, you know, you, that's because, like we were just talking about with the reason Empire is the best, all this stuff is almost <laughs> just accepted at this point. But if you think about yeah. how you would now, like, you know, in, in the sequels, you often, you know, watch reviews and you think, oh, yeah, Daisy Ridley gives a great performance. Uh, you know, John Boyega gives a great performance. If you were to go back to the 1980s, something that was really prevalent is how good performance-wise they are. Because you can see, yeah. um, you, you can see in the, his eyes when Han is being lowered down, that gaze that he's got transfixed on Leia and Chewie, it's so powerful. He's not saying a single thing, but at the same time, he's saying everything. And that's why Harrison Ford is so good in this movie. Um, and that's sort of... Also, one of my one of my favorite lines is the one with like, yeah. uh, where Leia and Han are flirting. Um, and he's talking about like, oh, you happen to like scoundrels. Like she calls him a scoundrel or whatever. Or like, he's like, you want a scoundrel. And she's like, I happen to like nice guys. And he's like, that's not true. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> no, because he's like, I happen I happen to like nice men. And uh, and then yeah. Han Solo's like, I'm a nice man. And then Leia's like, no, you're not. You're a... yeah. And that's when he gets cut off because he starts to snog over. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, it's so good. and i guess Uh, i guess that brings like you know a wrap up to the third and final reason in terms of three bulk reasons why empire is so good is because it takes the characters from the first film that were taken as the archetypes like you know the the comes from nothing farm boy and the 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 gunslinging scoundrel and the princess and the and the dog sidekick Mm. and takes them and actually turns them into developed layered characters that had that uh, not only shows uh, Lawrence Kasdan's great sense of respect that he had for the story and the characters but treats them not as movie characters at all he treats them like human beings you know that's that's something that I think is more prevalent in Empire than any other uh, movie in in uh, the Star Wars saga. Obviously, they all do it, but it's at its most prevalent when it comes to Empire Strikes Back. And that, for that reason, is why the characters, the character development is something that is so good about Empire and why it's the best. So I guess that sort of brings up a a, a wrap-up to the discussion as is, is um, that is basically an, an encapsulation in our eyes as why Empire is the best in terms of those structured you know, reasons. It is always creating urgency. Yep. It creates a structure it, that just in film was completely unrecognizable and turned it into basically a a norm for screenwriting that something that for that was uh, progressed for for years to come. And obviously, the way it treats the characters. And for that reason, Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely I would say yes. It's even even in the category of like my favorite, there's just so much layers to the film that even parts that we just haven't even mentioned, like how C3PO is just so funny in this film and his relationship with R2D2 is great, or like the fun little cameos throughout the film that we get to see, or just all of these parts that we haven't even brought up. It's just such a, a classic film in both not only in the way it encapsulates Star Wars, but as we've mostly been talking about, the way it's just such a good film that's put together. So I would agree hundred yeah. percent. It's 
it's the high. It's it's my favorite style. It works as a film, but also works as a movie. A movie that you can yeah. revisit thousands of times, as we have, and 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 love it nonetheless. With you know, like we were just talking yeah. about cameos. Boba Fett is in this movie. He's awesome. You yeah. know, like Boba Fett is one oh, of the most. Great. He's hard. He does like nothing in the film, but he's like one of the best characters. I know. That's just yeah. <laughs> have you ever watched the theatrical version of Empire Strikes Back with Boba Fett's original voice? I've seen the original voice. I haven't watched the theatrical version itself, yeah. though. What yeah. if he doesn't survive? He's worth a lot to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, that's 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 awesome. Um, He's no good to me dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, the, the structural re- fundamental reasons why this movie is so good, but at the same time, it's so good. The music, the characters, the set pieces, the action, it's all fantastic, and that brings it to the Yoda. top. Y-O-D-A, Yoda. <laughs> Yoda 2. Yoda 2 is an um, yeah, Yoda. Yoda is the best character in the movie by far. Um, okay, so in terms of the ranking for the film, which is basically yes. where we can wrap up the episode, is uh, yep, yep. well, I wonder where it would go. <laughs> uh, yes, so yeah. I think pretty much consensus is we're putting it on top. So what's yes. the order now? We've got Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace, uh, Revenge of the Sith, A New Hope, and then Empire Strikes Back on top. Yeah, so basically, exactly. It's, it's in very su- close to release order. Oh, sorry, order. sorry, sorry, I, episode order. Yeah, yeah, I think that once we get into Return of the Jedi and the sequels, that'll start to wrap. That'll start to to, to change. To change yeah. up. but yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyway, um. Yeah, that brings an end to the main discussion and an end yeah. to the podcast episode itself. So thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening once again. Um, I really hope you enjoyed this discussion. I think I really enjoyed getting really, um, you know, artistic and philosophical about Empire yeah. Strikes Back. Analyzing of one of our favorite films of all time. Yeah, um, because, like, you know, I'd seen it God knows how many times, but I'd never looked at it through an analytical perspective. So it was a lot of fun. I hope it was a lot of fun for you guys, too. I hope you maybe even learned something. But uh, anyway, basically, uh, what we were just saying, thank you very much for listening. This episode will be available as of 12 p.m. AEST tomorrow, as will the YouTube version throughout the week. Um, The time codes for our four separate discussions today will be available in the description of the podcast episode itself on any of the eight platforms that you you can find us on yep. um i can name them again but you've probably heard them say be said god knows how many times anywhere mm. you listen to podcasts we're there common um, podcasting locations yes exactly uh we're also available on instagram facebook and twitter uh so if you want to follow us there you can stay up to date as to what we're doing you'll get cool thumbnails and like little sneak peeks as to what the episode will entail because sometimes you put up little clips and stuff like that uh make sure to rate comment review and uh subscribe there uh other than that i'm not sure what we'll be doing next week we'll be able to find some cool maybe fun yep. game to play again that'll we'll be nice out. yeah we'll yeah. always find something to talk about in the star wars universe exactly <laughs> never-ending yeah. content of fun Mm-hmm. and uh yeah so other than that that wraps up the episode for today i hope you guys enjoyed anything yeah. else to say michael uh no hope we see us next week and uh, thank you for sticking with us uh we have a lot of fun making these episodes and it's, it's always good to know that there are people listening to our fun little conversations about star wars that we're having certainly uh yeah that wraps it up everyone thank you guys for listening this has been telling, telling the, the odds, odds.